This is Carolyn Holly. Welcome to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. For the next half hour, you're going to be encouraged and challenged by Skip and his guests as they discuss the game plan for life. In sports, as in life, it's important to have a game plan. And as Skip says, no game plan, no victory. Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall is brought to you by the following sponsors. Dutch Bros of Boise, an experience guaranteed to satisfy. McDowell's Specialty Repair, Susie Boyle Mortgage Team and Castle and Cook Mortgage LLC, and Summer's Funeral Home. Every life leaves a legacy. And now here's your host for Game Plan for Life, Skip Hall. Welcome to Game Plan for Life. This is your host, Skip Hall. Well, today we have a, a, a very important uh, guest, a special guest. His name is Reverend Bill Roscoe. He's the president and CEO of the Boise Rescue Mission. They've done such a wonderful job over the years, and it's been a few years since uh, we've had a chance to sit down with Bill and, and catch up. So we're going to do that today. And Bill, welcome back to Game Plan for Life. Thanks so much for having me me skip great to be with you coach well absolutely so we're going to start with your story uh, you've got such a remarkable story that i think people uh, maybe maybe they've heard it before but they need to probably hear it again because uh. it is so powerful so let's go back in time let's go to where you grew up and kind of move up to this point sure well uh, i hope that my story will inspire someone else who might be in that boat that i was in for the first 25 years of my life skip I was born and raised in, in uh, Massachusetts. My folks uh, lived in Western Mass. Uh, we're French Canadians by uh, descent and uh, crazy Canucks, as we were called in, the, <laughs> yeah. in that state. And uh, when I was 10 years old, my folks decided it was time to move west to the warmer weather, and they moved to California. So I lived in the Central Valley. Uh, I'm the eighth of nine children, wow. five, five girls, four boys. But by the time we moved west, it was my next older brother and then my younger sister and I who moved west with the family. Mm -hmm. And uh, we moved to the Central Valley of California, right out of Chico, a little town called Willows, and uh, lived there for a few years. And then uh, things didn't work out there for my folks in terms of employment and things like that. So we ended up down in Marin County and settled down in a little town called Novato. Yeah. And I went to school there yeah. and went to high school there. Um, and, you know, life was pretty normal, I guess you'd say. My folks were, were good folks. They worked hard. My dad was a carpenter, a union guy, always was involved in the union. Mm -hmm. And uh, they loved America. They loved, you know, their family. And they were just good, rock-solid people. But both of them had been disillusioned with the church from the time that they were young people. And while they were both raised uh, in a Catholic tradition, neither of them were very interested in church and uh, didn't have, I didn't have much training, uh, religious, religious training, except that for spurts of time, uh, they would take my sister and I and drop us off at a church in the neighborhood and uh, we'd go to Sunday school mm -hmm. and then they'd go shopping and then they'd pick us up and we'd go home. But it was uh, it was a you know basically a non Christian household although it was a good moral place and all of that uh, we were we were not Christians so uh, that went on and uh, got in high school the uh, Vietnam War was going on and my three brothers had 
already served and one was serving when I was in high school. My next older brother was in Vietnam in the 1st Infantry Division. And I was, you know, raised up to think that someday I'd be in the military as well. And sure enough, uh, I, I joined the Army and, and uh, enlisted and volunteered and went to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. By then, uh, Skip, by that time in my life, 18 years old, I was already uh, getting a little bit dysfunctional, you might say. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, felony criminal charges or anything, but I was, I was getting uh, my license revoked for speeding and reckless driving mm-hmm. and those kind of things. And I was a cut up in school and not behaving. You know, I just kind of getting astray. So the Army was a good decision on one hand because immediately I was going to learn discipline. Right, absolutely. <laughs> I still remember Drill Sergeant Frazier and how he treated me. <laughs> Anyways, uh, went went to Germany briefly, then went to Vietnam for my uh, year of duty there. And it was an uh, amazing experience, Skip. You know, war, uh, as has been said, war is hell. And I can testify that war truly is. Yeah. And I spent the first six months of my tour as a combat engineer in a road building engineer company. And we built the main highway between two provincial capitals in the central highlands. And we encountered uh, ambushes and mm-hmm. uh, explosive devices in the roads. And we did mine sweeping and things like that. Uh, had some small arms fire and, and a couple of major ambushes when we were in a convoy going over the mountain. but. After uh, six months, five months, the unit was going home. The 20th Engineer Battalion was going home. And we, we who didn't have six months plus in a day had to be reassigned and stayed while the rest of the, the unit went home. And mm. I was reassigned to the security detachment at a, uh, a fire base called Wake Davis, which was about 25 or 30 miles uh, out of Pleiku City going toward the Cambodian border. So I went out to the reconnaissance uh, platoon, and I was the radio operator. I carried a radio, and I stood right alongside the platoon sergeant or the captain, Mm -hmm. and I was their radio guy. And there, uh, we really experienced combat. While we were we were called a reconnaissance unit, it, it soon turned in more into a search and destroy sort of mission. And we worked with the 23rd South Vietnamese Infantry Regiment. So they would send out a platoon of guys and we would have one of our two squads with, with them. And, and do typically we would do seven to 14 day patrols out around this fire base and uh, then go back into the fire base for a few days and then go back out again. So it was it was war, you know, and I, I really experienced what that's like. Nothing like my brothers uh, in in a legitimate you know infantry unit. They yeah. were they were really in the war, and both of them were wounded. Yeah, my but, brother was too. He was in. in yes, Vietnam, I read that in your book. And he uh, he got they got blown up on a half track, and oh. he was burned over a greater percentage of his body, and mm. still has shrapnel today. And, yeah. And and unfortunately, he he's he's now in an Alzheimer's uh, vet uh, place, which yeah. is uh, sad to see. Well, my Marine brother, uh, two older brothers than from me up. Uh, he did. A, he joined the Marine Corps, went to Korea, was wounded in Korea, and then went to Vietnam twice. And the last tour in Vietnam, he was in Amtrak's. He was his tank hit a mine and mm-hmm. blew him right out of the hatch killed his whole crew he was a gunny sergeant killed his whole crew and almost crippled him and they ended up trying to put him behind a desk but he retired instead he couldn't do the desk work war is hell let's face it that's a very true uh, statement 
So anyways, I came back from Vietnam and uh, it was tragic how I came home, Skip, honestly, Mm -hmm. because my dad was my buddy and my best friend. And the whole year I was in Vietnam, my dad was dying from lung cancer. Mm. I didn't know that until I came home. The day I was to come home, I got a Red Cross message about two o'clock in the morning. I was back at the base camp and they came, woke me up. And I went down and got my message, and it said it was a Red Cross telegram, and it said serviceman's father has terminal cancer, life expectancy three or four months, emergency leave. Right. The day I'm supposed to go home, I already had my real orders. Right. Now I got emergency <laughs> orders, and yeah. they put me in a Jeep, took me down to Pleiku, shipped me out. Mm-hmm. And 18, 20 hours later, I'm walking into San Francisco International Airport, wow. dazed and confused. Wow. Uh, picked up by my brother, went home, and, and my dad died. He suffered greatly. Mm. I got reassigned. Uh, I was supposed to go down to Fort Ord, but I got reassigned to the Presidio in San Francisco, where I was uh, uh, glamorously the post-Roto-Rooter man. <laughs> but it meant I could live at home with the folks. My mom right. never drove. Right. And so I took my – and my, my first sergeant and I were the only two uh, Vietnam veterans in the whole company. Mm-hmm. So he loved me, and I loved him. Yeah. We told war stories. <laughs> and so I could go home anytime uh, when the phone rang i'd just take my truck back to the shop and i could go home and pick up my dad and take him to the dock or make his appointments and i really appreciate they did that for me but he died yeah and uh it rocked my whole world i mean i was already drinking a lot at that time Mm -hmm. but when when my dad passed away i just went right into the bottle and uh and unbeknownst to me skip i i have ptsd and i you know we didn't even know what that was back in 1970 but i was goofy thinking crazy thoughts and and uh acting out some of those crazy thoughts and and being kind of mean and abusive toward people and I mean, it wasn't me. It was, I was just this different guy yep. suffering and not knowing what to do with it. Right. I didn't have right. Jesus. Yeah. I, I didn't have faith or hope. Uh, so anyways, uh, I, I lived that way for a few years. Uh, I tricked a really nice girl into marrying me. <laughs> and uh, you know, here's a girl that didn't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with boys who do, and yeah. she married me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And we had two babies, boom, boom, two babies uh, less than a year apart and uh, bought a house on the GI Bill. Uh, I was a, my dad helped me get in the union before he died, and I became a union carpenter. I was making really good money, great benefits, had had a great career started there. Mm -hmm. But in in my head, in my heart, I was a dead man. I was just living day to day. Yeah. And my wife was very unhappy with me. So this went on until 1970. Got married in 72. And in 76, uh, I read the book, The Exorcist. Mm. And it scared me really bad. I believed every word of it. You know, I knew there was a devil. I knew he was bad. I knew there was a hell. And I knew where I was going. So... uh, I wanted to get my children baptized so that they wouldn't be possessed by the devil. I figured that was the magic trick, right? right. (laughs) And I called my mother, my dad, after my dad died, my mom got reconnected with a fellow who was a widower and the couples had been great friends for a number of years. And my mom ended up marrying this fellow after his wife died. And, uh, 
they got into the church, you know, and I thought, well, that's something. My mom won't go to church every Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So I called her up. I said, hey, we got to get our kids baptized. What, what do you think? Your, your church interested? Oh, our pastor would love to talk to you about that, she said. Mm-hmm. And of course he did because he was a great evangelist. Yeah. And he came out to our house. And I, and to this day, I can't believe he had the courage to sit with us for an hour and a half and, and talk. Mm-hmm. And he, he brought with him the Gospel of John. Yep. And he passed it out. There were a group of us, you know, godparents and so on that right, were going to be there. Right, right. And uh, I started reading that Gospel of John, and it made sense to me. But I remember having a conversation with him probably the second or third time he came to the house before we had the baptism. We didn't have a baptism. We had a dedication ceremony. Anyways, I remember saying to him, you know, this sounds great uh, if you're not a bad guy, but I'm a bad guy. I'm a really bad guy, Pastor, and you don't know who I am and what I've done and what I've seen. Mm -hmm. Why would God love me? And he showed me John 3, 17, Mm -hmm. and I read it, and it just stuck in my head. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He said, Bill, you're the world. Mm -hmm. You're the guy that Jesus died for. And I I wanted to believe it. And I, I kept thinking about it. And within a couple of days, I came home from work one day, just this gnawing in my brain that, man, this is true. This is true. You know, I got to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in the shower, Skip, after work. I was pounding nails. I come home all dirty, you know, and framing houses. And I was in the shower and uh, struggling in my mind and in my heart, wanting to be a different guy, wanting to be a good guy, wanting to be a good husband and a dad and be sober and, mm-hmm. and behave myself, you know. And I looked up at the ceiling, literally looked right up at the ceiling, and I said, okay, God, if you're real, come into my life. Take charge of this life, please. And with that, Skip, I'm not kidding, in my mind and in my heart, I heard, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Mm. Now, I don't know. Pastor must have shared that with us. I didn't know it was a Bible verse, right. but I heard in my heart God say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Mm-hmm. And it, boom, it just hit me. And I was I was convinced I'm saved. I'm a Christian. Wow. Isn't that great? <laughs> Instantaneously. Just like that. Yeah. I ran out of the shower, grabbed a towel and ran down the kitchen. My wife's cooking dinner. Mm-hmm. Babies are in the playpen. And I ran in the kitchen and she was startled and she looked at me and she said, what? I said, God just spoke to me in the shower. (laughs) And my poor Catholic raised wife looked at me and said, listen, buddy, (laughs) you go get your clothes on and get out here and eat your dinner. Don't be giving me all this Jesus stuff. And we uh, I tried to argue, but it didn't work. So anyways, uh, two weeks later, she accepted Christ. We, We went to church. We had the dedication ceremony. We went to church. And she accepted Christ. And from that day until this day, uh, God has never left me Mm, or forsaken me. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. The peace of God that passes human understanding has repeatedly been poured out in my life, Skip, over and over again. And then... He called me to ministry. Yeah, yeah. Well, he called you where you could could really make use of it. You've you've got so much to share with people, and you identify with a lot of people, and they identify with what you've been through. And so, yeah. So let's talk about how you got into the the rescue business. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, it all started when I got saved. <laughs> yeah. Because this church, it was the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church in Petaluma, California, Pastor Richard S. McMillan, mm-hmm. pastor. They knew how to disciple people. And so I was saved in March. I went to Guatemala in July to help build a church as a volunteer. And that was where God called me, but I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. But I knew I came home saying, I got to be in serving Jesus all the time. Anyway, then in in December, at the annual meeting of the church, they elected me vice president of the Alliance Men's Group. Really? Oh, man, I was famous right there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my job job duties were... (laughs) Uh, get the speaker for the men's breakfast every month and uh, do whatever else President Ernie told me to do. So I saw an article in the newspaper about a new guy at the rescue mission, and he was a former alcoholic, and he was a a professional musician. He and his wife played with Tony Bennett and Dean Martin. They were were really famous. And then they fell in the bottle, a little cocaine, and life unraveled. Well, they ended up becoming Christians. And he ended up being appointed the new, new, at the time, uh, director of the Redwood Gospel Mission. Mm -hmm. So I saw that in the paper, and I needed a speaker for breakfast, so I called him up. And I said, what do you say to come speak to our men's group at Neighborhood Church? And he Mm -hmm. said, oh, I'd love to do that, Bill. Mm -hmm. Great. When and what time and all of that. And then he said, of course, you got to come pick me up. And I said, oh, he said, well, I don't have a car. I'm the rescue mission guy. I don't have a car. Yeah. I said, oh, okay. Now, that should have been a warning to me, Skip. Right. <laughs> <laughs> These guys, you know, they don't do it for the money. No. Anyway, I went and picked him up. And so on the drive to breakfast, the breakfast, the drive back, he and I became Great, great friends. We had a lot in common from the past, and now we're both zealots for Jesus. And I started volunteering at the rescue mission. I was a carpenter, and they always need a good carpenter at the rescue mission. That hasn't changed. And uh, one thing led to another, and over the years, I became a member of the board of directors. Mm -hmm. And then um, one day, there was an opportunity to start serving, and I volunteered myself, and they they hired me, Mm -hmm. much Mm -hmm. to my surprise. Yeah. So in January, Martin Luther King Day of 1991 was my first day on the job at the Redwood Gospel Mission. Mm -hmm. And I was the new director of uh, youth ministries, Mm -hmm. which was consisted of myself (laughs) and all the volunteers I could stir up. But we had a great couple of years. God used us. Kids were getting saved. I had ministry in three uh, lockups, juvenile lockups. I had learned jail ministry while I was there from Pastor Harry Howard, who was wrote the book on jail ministry. And uh, I was having a great time. And then that job and that mission, uh, that mission uh, went through a, a really tough period of time. And they cut out the youth ministries. Mm-hmm. So I started looking around what to do. I wanted to stay in rescue. And I went to work at Denver. Mm-hmm. Got a job at the Denver Rescue Mission, which was really an outstanding opportunity because Denver was a really high flying rescue mission god was using that ministry and it was growing and prospering and my uh, two bosses the farm director who i work for and the director of the ministry the ceo great men of god who really wanted to coach people up right and they took advantage of the opportunity and coached me up mm-hmm. and then my best friend in in california became the director of the mission i had been at and he called me and asked me to come back and so my wife and i prayed and decided to go back and I served there for about five years with him as his assistant. 
And uh, then he, he really sent me off to be the CEO at the uh, mission in Redding, California, Good mm-hmm. News Rescue Mission, mm-hmm. my first CEO opportunity. And again, God just amazed us with what he did and how yeah. we prospered there. And after five five or so years, uh, Tony Chung was my predecessor yeah, in Boise, yeah. and Tony called me and said he was leaving. So we started praying about this ministry and mm-hmm. that God would raise up the right person to be the CEO here and very, very seriously prayed. And uh, I got one call asking me if I'd like to come interview, and I didn't feel led, and I said no. And then six months later, they were still looking, Mm -hmm. and uh, the chairman of the board called me and asked me if we'd come for an interview, and we decided we would. And I'm telling you, uh, Skip, we, we got to Boise in 2002. We walked down Capitol Boulevard toward the Capitol, and... Uh, it was such a beautiful city. It was springtime. Right. The snow-capped foothills all around oh, us. Yeah. The sun was out. People were so nice. Yeah. I mean, we couldn't believe it. Everybody was, and it seemed like everybody was saying, well, God bless you. Have a great day, you know? <laughs> so when they called me, I, I was happy to accept the call, and, yeah, and we came, and it has been the most amazing 20 years yeah, of so my it's, life. It's 20 years this coming year, right? Yes, this spring is 20 years. This spring is 20 years. Well, <laughs> Hard to what, believe. A, what a miraculous job uh, you and the others have done at the, the Boise Rescue Mission, and just mm. we're just so proud, pleased and proud to have you here in our community and continuing to do great things, great work. And so we've got about uh, five or so minutes left. So let's talk about what the rescue mission is doing now. What, what are the exciting things on the table? Well, uh, Skip, we've, we've been so blessed, and this is the most generous community on the face of the earth. People just give and give and give, and I have the best team of rescue ministers in the whole world, I'm yeah. telling you. I'm surrounded by wonderful, gifted, godly people, and we've been blessed to now have five facilities in the Valley. Right. Uh, the most recent two are the... Uh, Valley Women and Children's Shelter in Nampa, and right across the parking lot, uh, we were able to capture a building, and we call that the Rescue Mission Recovery Lodge, Mm -hmm. where homeless people being discharged from the hospital can have a place to go without having to go into a a 200-bed dorm or a 50-, 60-bed dorm, and we can give them personal attention. And then, of course, the City Light Home for Women and Children, the River of Life Rescue Mission for Men are both in Boise. Mm -hmm. And we have transitional housing, Uh, We have about 50 units of transitional housing, which gives our people who go through the process of recovery from homelessness an opportunity to live in subsidized, supportive housing, subsidized by us and supported by us Mm -hmm. and get really solid in their recovery and on their feet and in their job and save their money Mm -hmm. so they can then successfully move out into the community. And that's been an amazing process that's had great success And so with that, we've just purchased, we've been blessed to purchase a a 55,000 square foot building over on Curtis Road in Boise. Isn't that great? And we're going to have more transitional housing there after we get that place up and running. That's just awesome. Well, here's what's really awesome, Skip. So this holiday season, we've had our four banquets. We're all finished now with two Thanksgiving, two Christmas banquets. 
511 people made decisions for Christ oh, yeah. at those four banquets. Wow. 511. That, that's about double what we would ordinarily right. see. That is awesome. It is so wonderful and amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's terrific. That's, that's what we do. What we do. <laughs> so just uh, roughly, uh, how many people do you feed a day and how many do you shelter a night? Yeah. Uh, give, right give right now we're serving about 320, 350 men, women, and children every night. Mm-hmm. And with that, about about 900 meals a day, every mm-hmm. single day. Mm-hmm. And that goes on at our, our four primary shelters. Right. Yeah. Right. right. So. And a lot of decisions in those chapel services every night, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's chapel services every night. Yes. Mm-hmm. Every facility. And is that a, a, a voluntary thing? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. And we staff the chapel. Most of the chapel services are staffed with volunteers from the community. Mm-hmm. And so we have we have some pastors who come, and then we have laymen, uh, such as I did in, in Santa Rosa. I volunteered in chapel for about 12 years. Mm. I had one night a month, and I went down there and preached the gospel, and, and go. people got saved. <laughs> so if you want to preach the gospel at the Rescue Mission, call me, because I, I know we have a few <laughs> openings, and Boise RM dot org is our website and you can click on the volunteer button if you have a gift a skill or a talent and you need a place to share it i'm telling you the truth the rescue mission is the place you can come give us that website again it's boise rm for rescue mission dot org yeah yeah and help is needed Help is needed. Help you know, COVID needed. wiped out our volunteer cadre. We lost people. They, you know, they, you know, we couldn't go out. You couldn't come into the chapel. Uh, but we're open for business. We need people to help us. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. driver, uh, teachers, whatever you want to do, there whatever you, you can do. There's an invitation to our listeners. <clears throat> so, um, what's the average length of stay for someone in the in the mission? Well, it really depends on who the person is and what their needs are, Skip. And that's one of the beautiful things about our, our programs is that they're they're really tailored as much as they can be to the individual. And so I've had a gal uh, who spent three years in our New Life Recovery Program at City Light. Mm-hmm. This gal was addicted to drugs. She had severe persistent mental illness, and she had two little girls mm. to raise. It took her three years, but she was always making the effort. And with that, we will always hold your hand and help you through. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I've had people that were, uh, had a guy that was hit on his motorcycle, broke his leg, and by the time he got out of the hospital, his apartment was gone, his possessions were gone. He checked in with us. He was there about a month and a half, yeah. and he was back on his feet and back out. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on the need. Mm-hmm. As far as transitional living goes, our veterans program, where we have 30 beds for veterans who are homeless in transition, uh, those guys typically stay three to six months. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, hand a mom with a few children staying in a transitional situation with us might be with us six or 12 months yeah. because it takes a lot to get out anymore oh, it takes yeah. a lot of money to rent yeah. and pay the yeah. bills yeah. Yeah. so it really is up to the individual yeah. but again we can tailor the programs to meet the individual needs yeah. yeah well bill we're just about at the end of the show and how enlightening this has been and your story is tremendous and what you're doing with the rescue mission and all the people on staff there, uh, what a wonderful thing. So we just say, God bless you. Thank, Thank you. you for all you're doing for so many, and especially for the Lord. Thank you, Skip. It's an honor and a privilege. You bet. Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall is brought to you by the following sponsors. Hollingshead Eye Center. See the difference experience makes. Christian Brothers Automotive. Security Gold and Silver. A reliable source for your bullion investment. Dominoes. Oh, yes, we did. 
Rocket Express Car Wash. It's a blast. Diamond Heating and Cooling. Hoffman Auto Body. Someone you can trust. Canyon County Habitat for Humanity. Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. And Idaho Window Tinting. Thank you for listening to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. This is Carolyn Holly inviting you to listen at this same time on this same station next Saturday as Skip and his guests go over the game plan for life. Have a great weekend. And remember, no game plan, no victory.